Everybody read? Yeah. Yep. All right, Justin. There's only one possible song that would be on topic for today. So I'm not going to ask you the question. I'm just going to have you see if you can guess what the song is. <laughs> um, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no clue. Based on the movie we're going to talk about, there's just one song I thought of. And I just want to know if you could guess what that song is. You got me. I'm stumped. I don't know what you were thinking. <laughs> okay. Heather, same thing to you. Uh, I'm really thinking. Hold on. Hold on. Let's see. Based on the movie. So I got nothing. I can't think of anything. The correct answer was Van Halen's Hot for Teacher. Okay. Okay. Ah, okay. Okay. Specifically based around one of the storylines in the movie we were talking about. Yeah. Yep, that was the only thing I was thinking of. I just wanted to see if you could guess it, because you knew the movie. So I just wanted to see if you could guess what song it was. And both of you failed. Sounds right. Another L. Yeah, you might as well just change your name to Lastin, because you just get so many L's. <laughs> oh, wow. And spell it with like four <laughs> L's. So it's L-L-L-L-A-S-T-I-N. Lastin. I'm still, I think I still have a winning record, though. I'm pretty sure. No, you don't at all. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know when what universe you thought that that statement was true because sure's fucking this one. <laughs> I thought I was winning. If, if it feels like I have a winning record, well, yeah. If your goal is to see how many times you can lose at this game, then yeah, I guess you're winning the fuck out of it. Or if your goal is to see like if you can get more right than me, then you've 100% won that. <laughs> but other than that, no, Justin, oh, you're you're pretty much the Quincy Carter Dallas Cowboys right now. Oh, man. I'm going to have to check the books. I'm going to have to check the records. <laughs> you go, go the go fuck ahead. <laughs> Got to get to the bottom of this. I want to know what my score is exactly, and I better be at least over 500. I know that much. No, you're not. <laughs> I mean, Justin, I'm, I am I, I played. I am a D&D player. I've been dungeon master before. I know how to make sure I win this shit if I want to. <laughs> I do not doubt that. One bit. And I, I thought that this one was actually like fairly easy because to me, there was just one option. I mean, I guess that's better than the last time we did this when I said sing anything and you didn't do that either. <laughs> Dang. Don't make this worse than it is. Okay. And you got three uh, L's for that episode. Just remember that overall, by the uh, end of the episode, you had three losses. Dang. You're I a did. hero, Justin. That's all I have to say. Took one for the team. Man, maybe I don't want to check the record books. Yeah, you don't. Because every one of your L's is a W for me. Just remember that. And on that note, let's go ahead and start this episode. Hey, hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I am Sterling, and as always, I am joined by Heather and Justin. And today we will be talking about the HBO movie, Bad Education. But also along with that, we will also talk a little bit about the new streaming service, HBO Max, since it has actually come out since our um, episode about streaming services. So we'll talk a little bit about that and some of the things uh, that might be interesting coming out on that in the future. And if you don't know what that is, I don't know if you pay attention to anything movie related because that's been a very big thing. So with that, like I said, we'll, we'll be talking about bad education. We, we, ugh, I am tongue tied as a motherfucker. 
we will be talking about the movie Bad Education and everything we liked, didn't like, and everything in between with that movie. But before that, I came across some news right before we started recording. And this has to do with a director that we have uh, reviewed two of his movies on this podcast. And I have famously, and I'm saying famously because I feel like it's famously, have hated both his movies that we have talked about. And that man is none other than Ari Aster. Which if you don't remember who that is, that is the director of both Hereditary and Midsummer, And today he was asked, or, you know, an uh, interview, an article came out today where he was asked about his uh, movie he's working on that he's going to come out with. And he described it as a four-hour nightmare comedy, quote, unquote. And I guess I just want to talk to you guys about it a little bit since we've all talked about his movies in the past. And uh, I am strangely intrigued by this. A, that anybody, for one, thinks a four-hour movie is good. And B, I don't think he knows what jokes are. So how will he make a comedy? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I could say probably 100% sure that like the genre of that movie is going to be grossly mislabeled like all of the other ones. Um, so it's going to be something like completely not at all what he is promoting it to be because that's just how it happens with his movies. And four hours is like, that sounds like a chore. And like, I, I, you know, I, I don't hate his movies as much as you do, Sterling, but I definitely don't like his movies enough to sit through a four hour one, uh, or want to at least. Um, but also I don't know if there's anybody's movie that I'd really want to sit through for four hours. Like, that is a long movie. Last time I did that, it was in high school when I was watching the four-hour Pride and Prejudice movie that was on two VHSs. Like, that is the last time I watched a four-hour-long movie. And it was rough. Um, man, I'm, I'm really kind of in the middle on this because I didn't really like Midsummer, but I did like Hereditary. And I don't know, but four hours of... The content, I mean, am I ready to see four hours from this guy? Um, I don't know. Sterling is. I I mean, you know, I'm just, uh, and maybe that's just kind of the, uh, the, the, the slayer in me. I would hate to just assume that this is going to be bad before it comes out. I always want to try to give a film the benefit of the doubt before I see it. So it'll get at least that much from me, but it's definitely not something that I'm excited about uh, coming off of Midsummer because especially because I believe the reception for the most part for Midsummer, at least critically, was positive. So uh, who knows? I mean, and and I'm not sure about the money that that film made and we didn't discuss it, I don't think, on our podcast. And I'm not sure. I don't know if it how big of a release it had actually either. But with mid concerning Midsummer, but um but I don't know, you know, if he feels like, "Oh man, if he feels like, you know, I had a hit with Hereditary, uh Midsummer was was for the most part well received." So 
I'm on cloud nine. I've got momentum. You know, I can't be touched. So here comes a four hour comedy. And sometimes that confidence can get you. You know what I mean? Sometimes you might get a little too overconfident and maybe bet a little bit more than you should have. You know, you should have kept some chips or, you, you know, I don't know. So four hours that you're asking, you're already asking your audience. With short attention spans, phones, this, that, and the other, et cetera, to sit through something for four hours. So you're already asking a lot of your audience as far as their attention span. So that means you better bring the content that that better be some witty, just great dialogue. This story better be spellbound and you got to have a solid cast to do it. So uh, we'll definitely see if he's up to the task. Well, Justin, since you brought up that we didn't talk about box office numbers, I can do that real quick. Um, Perfect. So the budget for this movie was around or for Midsummer was around $9 million. And by all accounts, it was vastly a success making 47 million worldwide. Mm. So five times its budget. That's a success. You know, it yeah. made three times the okay. budget alone in America. Um, but I mean, I don't know how accurate these numbers are just because it says the runtime was two hours and 28 minutes. And I feel like I'm still watching that movie. <laughs> so I don't know <laughs> if these numbers are 100% correct because it says it came out about a year ago, July 3rd, 2019, which makes sense. That tracks. Yeah, I feel like I've been watching it for 11 straight months. I feel like that movie is still going. So, you know, take that for what you will. Um, yeah, I just, I'm looking forward to it because I want to know who the fuck thinks that that's like a thing that should happen. Like, <laughs> I just want, yeah, I want to know the subject of it for sure. Yeah. And I mean, I can't find anything, uh, any notes about anything saying it's what's in production or anything like that. So I don't know anything other than that's just what he said. So maybe that movie's not actually getting made yet. He's just, you know. He's in the process of writing it or something, maybe. Um, but the thing is, is I feel like A24 is going to let the fucker do it. Because yeah, I mean, probably as much as I hate his movies, I love A24. Um, yeah, they they do a lot of great pro- uh, productions. I mean, one of the, my favorite horror movies in the last few years, The Witch, uh, was done on A24 or done by A24 or a vastly underrated movie to me. Uh, is a movie called uh, Ex Machina, and it's oh, that's good. Yeah, uh, with what's his name, Oscar Isaac and Dom Hall Gleason. Uh, yeah, that's an A twenty four movie. A twenty four, they take chances. It's very much like early two thousands Lionsgate. Is very much kind of what A twenty four reminds me of. And I mean, fuck, his movies make money considering how small the budgets are. So I feel like they're gonna let him do it. Like. I mean, because honestly, apparently somebody read the script to Midsummer, and they thought that was an okay idea. <laughs> so I'm sure somebody's just going to allow him to do whatever the fuck he wants. But honestly, it'll probably be a very beautiful movie. I'll give him that. Like, it'll be very well shot, but I don't know anything else about how good it'll be. I mean, you say that. It, I will argue Midsummer is not beautiful. Just because that movie made me hate Daylight. <laughs> but... <laughs> Yeah, no, we just kind of wanted to drop some news on you guys and, you know, talk about it a little bit because you, I, we're going to fucking watch it. Like, that will be an episode of this podcast. Like, we'll be a, a four-hour fucking Ari Aster movie. 
which that sounds like the most terrible thing in the world. A four hour Ari Aster movie. It's like somebody goes, hey, Sterling, what's your own personal hell? Oh, a four hour Ari Aster movie. (laughs) But we'll do it. And I mean, I know Justin's sitting there talking about how he tries to like, you know, give films a benefit of the doubt and give them an actual chance. No, this motherfucker is starting in a hole with me. I, I can only base it off what I've seen. This movie's starting at at least a negative 50. So if I end up giving it at like a 50, that means it's probably pretty good. <laughs> Man, I hope that it's like uh, uh, glass and unbreakable is split. I hope you get to the end of that and you find out that it's an extended universe and there are <laughs> three there other are movies coming hereditary characters and there are <laughs> midsummer characters and it's right. an extended yeah. universe. It ends with like the I'm hereditary really... <laughs> cast in like wherever they were in midsummer. <laughs> yeah. You have to remember I that I only saw one of those movies. So that doesn't mean as much to me. <laughs> No, which is funny because I was, yes, uh, I was on the, 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 the glass episode, but yes, that was just to make fun of M. Night Shyamalan while you guys talked about that movie. <laughs> yeah, just to like troll him <laughs> on it. I gave zero fucks about it. And I own Split. I own the movie Split. I have owned it, I think, since it came out on, on iTunes, at least within a month or two of it coming out on iTunes. And I have yet to fucking watch that movie. It's totally worth it, though. It's the only one worth it, really. It's so good, though. You say that, but saying an M. Night Shyamalan movie is good after The Sixth Sense is like a contradictory statement. Like Usually, I, yes. I know, I know that most, you know, or I know these cinefans didn't get to hear my gigantic rant against M. Night Shyamalan in our Best Endings episode because... Due to some technical problems, we ended up losing our original recording of that. And you guys had to re-record it without me because I was in the middle of working four work weeks in the span of two. But I, I do know you guys tried to summarize my little thing. And I will summarize it more succinctly than you guys did. In <laughs> the pantheon of M. Night Shyamalan movies, it goes six cents and then an escalating amount of just utter garbage. For every but single other fucking movie you did say you liked Signs, faced. right? I liked Signs until the end. And then the ending oh, okay. was so fucking bad. I hate that whole movie. <laughs> Those oh, fucking no. aliens came to a planet that is mostly water. And they die if they touch water. Come the fuck on. <laughs> These beings have the ability to intergalactically travel. And you're telling me? They don't have a fucking alien version of a fucking security camera pointed at our fucking planet and realize that we're mostly fucking water here. I mean, one alien would come down here. Let's just say they don't know what water is. So one alien comes down here and he gets caught in a rainstorm and dies horribly. You would think that these aliens would go, wait, wait, what the fuck just killed this guy? Oh, it seems to be that liquid substance that's made of two hydrogen molecules bonded with a single oxygen molecule. Huh. How prevalent is on this planet? Oh, it's most of the planet? Yeah, let's fucking go to Mars where that shit doesn't exist. (laughs) Like, what kind of fucking bullshit garbage is that? And also, (laughs) come on. They had the Abigail Breslin drinks one sip of water and it leaves the cups everywhere just for that scene at the end. Pure fucking bullshit. Because 
Also, what kind of family is this? Why can't nobody pour out a fucking glass of water? Why do they leave 90 billion glasses of water sitting around their house? And then the whole fucking little mini storyline of Joaquin Phoenix being a failed baseball player. And then once they realize that the alien's allergic to water and he's got a baseball bat and there's glasses of water everywhere. And Mel Gibson's like, hey, swing for the fences or whatever bullshit hokey baseball line he fucking said then. Come the fuck on. Fuck that entire piece of shit movie. Man, everybody's got a hydrate, though. I mean, maybe they just wanted to make sure it was (laughs) readily available. Yeah, you know who doesn't need to hydrate? Aliens that (laughs) die if they touch water. (laughs) That's like the Wicked Witch of the West thinking she should get in a super soaker fight with somebody. Oh, my God. Yeah, we didn't uh, do your rant of M. Night Shyamalan. We didn't justice. do it justice. Yeah, yeah, we really did not. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad that this happened. Okay, so let's do the whole thing just real quick because I can do it because I did my brief oh my summary. No, I'm just doing my brief summary of every M. Night Shyamalan movie because we talked about how I love. I do love. I still love Sixth Sense. It's fucking great. But then you have Unbreakable, which was just a boring plotting movie until the end when he's like, but I'm a superhero. Fuck, that's a dumb movie. I just went over signs. Then what? what's next? Village? Yeah, I know Jason already talked about it, but come the fuck on with the village. Like, those people also had A-grade Hollywood prosthetic people that made them their costumes. And somehow they're just in a fucking national park with some fucking guard guy sitting there. And just nobody's accidentally running anything. Give me a fucking break on that one. Uh, Lady in the Water. If I need to explain to you why Lady in the Water is bad, you have serious problems in your life. Or you just haven't seen the movie and you're better off for not knowing anything about it. Uh, The next would be, I think, Avatar The Last Airbender, which that's famously a garbage movie in every way, shape, or form. I think that that movie is so bad that I never gave Avatar The Last Airbender a chance, even though I've heard nothing but fantastic things about that TV series. I will refuse to watch it just because whoever is associated with that property thought M night Shyamalan was a good director to direct the live action version of it. So fuck that entire franchise. Uh, the next is the happening, which besides the ridiculousness of plants, psychotropically controlling everybody's minds into killing themselves. That is literally the worst acting from Marky Mark in the history of ever. And that's Marky Mark. He did two Transformers movies, and somehow his acting was Academy (laughs) Award-level Daniel Day-Lewis shit compared to what the fuck he did in the movie The Happening. Then the next movie he did, wasn't it The Visit with the grandparents and shit? So the premise of this movie is this mom, who hasn't talked to her parents in a while, or whatever the fuck it was, goes, you know what? I'm going to send you kids to go stay with your grandparents. I'm not going to drop you off. I'm just going to send you to your grandparents' house. And then they get to their grandparents' house, and the grandparents are like, oh, we love you, grandchildren, all this other stuff. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, my God, they're killers. And it turns out that, no, those weren't their actual grandparents. They were like psychotic, like a psychotic elderly couple that escaped from a mental institution that killed their grandparents and took their place. But nobody happened to realize anything because, you know, any sort of technology with video capabilities doesn't exist in a real way, shape, or form. I know they kind of had elements in that movie, but get, let's get fucking real. The entire movie's fucking stupid. 
And then the next movie after that was Split, which, like I said, I just don't give a fuck at this point. I'm not going to watch it. Even though I own it, I'm still not going to watch it. And then You're uh, missing Glass, out on that one. And I, what do I need to say about Glass? We did an episode on it. I chimed in on it a couple of times. Even though I haven't seen it, I still feel like I have. And it's a piece <laughs> of shit movie, too. Anything else about M. Night Shyamalan? No further questions, Your Honor. All right. <laughs> I agree about all of them except for signs and except for split. Everything else I agree with you on. Split is good, Sterling, but I know you won't watch it. I know that as a, what I just said. On principle, you won't. Doesn't matter at all, but won't. it is pretty good. <laughs> it's so fantastic, but yeah, it's a principle for you. I get it. It's not even that. I just don't see the point. I just don't. It could be one of the best <laughs> movies in the world, but all I'm going to sit here and think is, nope. It's just another another false sense of security that M. Night Shyamalan is a competent person when it comes to directing a movie. The point is James McAvoy playing 23 people at a time, and it's amazing. But otherwise, I understand what you mean. Those are 23 people that were written by M. Night Shyamalan. I rest my case. Well, anyway, we got way off topic here. <laughs> Which I'm kind of <laughs> glad we did, because that was one of my favorite things about that episode. And I was really sad that that was lost. So, yes, that is the brief history of why Sterling hates him, Night Shyamalan. And on that note, hey, guys, do you want to talk about the HBO movie Bad Education? <laughs> yes. Sure. Why not? All right. <laughs> Let's go ahead and start with you, Heather, since you saw this when it actually came out. Me and Justin were late to the party. Yeah. So a little non-spoilery stuff for you guys. It is... I, I liked the movie. Um, if I'm being honest, I really didn't actually know about this story uh, before watching this. I mean, just hearing that it was based on a true story and all these things. I was like, okay, cool. Um, but if I'm being honest, yeah, I had not actually um, heard of that story or looked into that story of what happened there. So I didn't really know what to expect from it. I didn't know what was going to happen or anything like that. But I liked the movie. I think it was, um, I think it was put together well. Um, definitely Hugh Jackman is great. He does a really great job in this role. Definitely very different, I feel like, than anything else I've seen him in. Um, Alice and Janney, also always great. Um, I, the thing is, I was already, I already knew I would want to watch it with them being in it. But then they added Raphael Casal who plays um, Kyle, who's the, uh, like, he plays the bartender in this movie, but um, we'll get into his character more later. But putting him in that movie definitely made me want to watch it because I am a massive Raphael Casal fan. I think he is phenomenal. He, uh, for people who maybe more recently, he's in blind spotting with um david diggs and he is uh the mr top hat in the are you afraid of the dark series he's great that's um, where i I've recognize a... him from fuck i yeah. it was driving me nuts mm, okay but i never bothered looking <laughs> it up and yeah real real quick side note if you haven't seen the reboot like three episode version of are you afraid of the dark that came out last year it's fucking great yeah, definitely watch that. It's super and good. And he's one of the reasons why. Yeah. And like I I've liked him since like he he did um Def Jam poetry on HBO like years years back. 
And I remember him from that because every time he did like his spoken word poetry that he wrote, I loved it. I was like, this guy is so good. And that's where I first heard of him. And then I was like, oh, he does movies, like things like that, that I was like, I didn't even know. I am beyond thrilled when he is put in anything because I think he is phenomenal. He is really, really great. So that made me want to watch it even more. And his character that he plays is great too. Like he, he does a great job with it. Um, he's very versatile for sure, but yeah. Um, I liked the movie. I think it was a very interesting, um, subject, obviously, especially because it is based on a real thing. Uh, it was good. It was, uh, um, it was well put together. I think this one was a well-paced movie. Um, I think just, I, I do think they could have used Alice and Janney in it a little bit more than they did. Otherwise, um, Hugh Jackman really obviously made this movie as good as it was. Um, but yeah, great story, great cast. Um, overall, I really enjoyed it. Justin, what about you? Yeah, so I can, um, uh, I agree with a lot of the sentiments that uh, Heather laid out here. Um, for me, man, this was... Uh, this was like a welcome breath of fresh air because after that gauntlet of movies that we watched for the the (laughs) previous episode, uh, wrestlers versus zombies and uh, all the body cam and all the rest of them, man, it it for me anyway, it was refreshing and it was nice to watch a good movie, man, a movie about some interesting subject matter with some great acting in it, with some good storytelling, some excellent scene transitions in this too. And an ending that, that I thought was very impactful, the, the way that it was done and the, and the contrast, um, that they put in there. And of course we'll get into more detail later, but no, man, I, I enjoyed this. Um, this, the, the, this is a movie worthy of HBO. It, it, it's, it was a solid film. And yes, Hugh Jackman was just great as this character, this Frank Tassone, this, this sociopath, this person who was just telling so many lies, really. It was almost as if, you know, he just started to believe the lies. You know, it was just like, it was just almost embedded into him. And then what was true and what was not almost just kind of mixed together, but it's an incredible story. It's got good scandal. There are good characters. There's great dialogue in this. And I really just enjoyed all of that. The, the scenes that Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney got to do all, I really liked a, a lot of those scenes, whether it was a time in the movie where there needed to be some tension between, them or whether it was just kind of like a almost like a little heartfelt or like friendship moments that they had all of those moments landed with me um the, the this was i just really appreciated this film i appreciated all of the acting uh geraldine viswanthan um who plays Rachel in this movie, um, the, the, the student news reporter, uh, the, the, she was good in this too. You know, I thought that that was a nice little, um, addition, uh, not necessarily an addition to this story cause it is based on true events, but, uh, she, she was also great too. And that whole, um, 
mission that she was on in the film that that was very compelling too so there just wasn't a thing about this that I found to be boring or uninteresting it kept me interested the whole time I was you know I was very much into this I was I, I was very much into this the whole time I just really enjoyed it and uh it was I was very reflective um and I, even though I finished it just a few moments before we started this, I was still thinking about it. I was very, very reflective of everything that was happening after it was over. And that's really all I can ask for a movie. Can you entertain me and can you get me to think about something? And this does that in strides. I think I weirdly agree and disagree with you, Justin. I think while the acting is incredibly good and there were a lot of interesting elements to the story, I felt like the movie was just kind of simple and straightforward and at times a little bit mediocre as far as things go. But that being said, it was oddly refreshing after all that garbage we had fucking watched. Just to see a movie that's just kind of simply a movie with just really good acting and, you know, just kind of the simplicity of it all. I know that there was some elements of scandal and, you know, things being unraveled and whatnots, uh, which you would, I guess for most people would make it more complex or something like that. But I don't know. I did find myself at times wishing instead of getting an HBO movie about this, I would have rather getting an HBO documentary about it because mm. I mean, HBO documentaries are some of my favorite to me. So I would have just loved to see them tackle it that way. And while this movie to me kind of falls in line with maybe move a movie kind of like a, a spotlight where it's, you know, about the people behind the scenes, breaking open the scandal, if you will, uh, to a degree, uh, while the one in spotlight was vastly more famous because it had to do with the sexual assault allegations against the Catholic church. This was kind of a more, you know, a story you're really not going to ever hear. Uh, de well, depending on where you live, if you live kind of in the tri-state area, you know, in the Northeast near New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. Yeah. You probably heard about this story and it just probably blew your mind, but you know, in the Midwest or in the South or anything like that, we never heard really of this when it came through, when it happened. Um, but I did, I did find elements of this movie intriguing. I think one of the, my favorite things about this movie were some of the scenes where, uh, Hugh Jackman was actually, uh, being an educator or showing that his character still had that heart to him when it came mm -hmm. to handling some of the kids and stuff like that. There's a very specific scene where he's dealing with a mother he dealt with earlier in the movie. And it's right in the middle of his entire life falling apart. And just his acting in that scene was very, very compelling uh, where he's incredibly frustrated and stressed and under all this pressure. And this kid keeps fucking up the word. I think it uh, accelerated and He's doing it in a very like stressed way, but then you see some of the heart come through with it of him trying to help the kid understand and how to read and sound out the word properly and all this other stuff. And I found that that aspect of it very compelling. And I, th I thought it was a great, great performance from Hugh Jackman when he did that. Yeah. And I don't know, like I said, I just I found it at times, like I said, I just found myself wishing we got an actual documentary about it instead of this movie about it. But I mean, in the end, even though, like I said, parts of it were more or less mediocre to me and all this other stuff, I guess, you know, the timing in which I watched it, it does elevate it to a degree and becomes like Justin said, very refreshing. 
<laughs> just to s- watch a movie and it more or less just work. I mean, for the most part, yeah. Like I do, I, like I said, I have problems with it and all this other stuff, but as a whole, the movie just worked. Like simply speaking. And I think at times, maybe we take that thing that sounds simple and easily achievable for granted because I feel like we watched and did three movies that didn't necessarily actually work. So, I mean, kudos to this for just, I mean, I mean, on a base level, being an actual competent fucking movie. And maybe, maybe this will teach me to not take, you know, some of those things like that uh, for granted. Because there's, there's way more incompetent movies out there than competent when it comes down to it. So maybe <laughs> I need to cherish my moments, regardless of how I feel sometimes during it. I'm just watching a competent movie. Because as, as life goes on, I'm... I'm finding this the simple pleasures like that that are few and far between. <laughs> uh, so let's do recommendations and scores. I guess we start with Heather. So, Justin, what's your recommendation and score for this? Well, I'm definitely going to recommend it. I mean, of course, we're going to get into a conversation about HBO Max, but man, I, I think that this is one of the better movies as far as their HBO movie section that, that you can watch on there. And what I mean is one of the better recent movies that they've that they've released on there. I think that this is one of the better ones you can watch. I thought that it has solid performances. It's an interesting story. Uh and overall, it does enough effectively to me to hold your attention. And I'm even interested to fi- see if I can find out even more about the story now that I've um, watched this movie. And I think sometimes with a movie like this, inspired by true events or wh- however you want to call it, um, that's really just about what you could ask for. So I think that if that's what you're looking for, something a little more interesting, if you're a fan of good old Wolverine, Hugh Jackman, this is a great performance by him. He really carries this movie. He, he really nails the dichotomy of this character very well in, in, in a very solid fashion. And I think that that's something I can get behind. So I'm going to give it. Uh, 85 imaginings that you are the greatest superintendent in the world, tragically, out of 100. Heather, what about you? Yeah, I mean, there, from my opinion, there's nothing specifically that's like not good about the movie. I think, um, like I said, I did appreciate the pacing of it. You know, um, the story in general was, it was an interesting story, but I would say, I mean, I, I wouldn't say this is a movie that is the absolute most compelling movie I've ever seen about something based on a true story. Um, it is kind of a, um, I guess I agree a little bit with you, Sterling on it's kind of a more simple, like there's nothing too like extreme or too I guess <clears throat> super stand out in it that would make it like a this is the greatest thing I've ever seen but the acting and the story itself were um intriguing enough for me to say it was a good movie is it something I would say oh I'm gonna rewatch it over and over probably not but it's definitely worth watching at least once um it's kind of like it made me remember 
how great of an actor Hugh Jackman is. Not that I ever really forgot it. I mean, he's always solid, but I guess I hadn't really seen him in much lately. And this performance is just, it's beyond anything I've seen him do before. And I really appreciated how well he played this character. So I definitely do recommend it. Um, I won't go as high on it as uh, Justin, just because I, I, I didn't find it as compelling, I guess. Um, just, yeah, but it was just like, okay, this was, I'm, I'm glad I watched it is more of my feeling on it. So I'm going to give it 70 um, secret hotel rendezvous out of a hundred. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess I recommend it. Um, like I said, I, I do have some issues with it, but overall, I mean, acting wise alone, it's, 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 you know, good just to watch it, uh, just for that alone. I mean, what is it with Ray Romano just kind of fucking killing it in the acting department lately? He was like <laughs> one of the few things I fucking liked in the Irishman. Like Ray Romano's just fucking killing it now. Um, and, 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 and like these two brought up, uh, you know, Hugh Jackman's really good in this movie. Uh, you know, I, I mean, as weird as it sounds with you, everything with, you know, Wolverine and stuff like that, and that being essentially who he was for so long, and now he's no longer that. And, you know, then he did Greatest Showman, which I don't know if I've talked about on this or not, that I've re- refused to watch that movie because P.T. Barnum was a garbage human being, and anything that glorifies him can fuck off real quick. <laughs> so it was real nice to kind of see him in something that was wasn't Wolverine and wasn't P.T. Barnum being a racist asshole. Which I know that's not in the movie, but I'm talking about that's him in real life. So I mean, yeah, it was nice to see him just be a normal person, if you will, you know, an average Joe, if you can think about it. And and and, and that was nice. And I mean, Allison Janney, uh, I mean, killed it. Like she, like she has been just on fire lately too. I love her. I mean, I know she won an Academy Award, so that's kind of an understatement. Uh, but I'm just saying, like, she's fucking killing it lately. She really is. You know, so just any time you get to see, you know, Alice and Janie, or like like I said, we're going to say, or get to see Ray Romano, because he finally found or decided he was going to be an actual actor now. And it's all <laughs> fucking great and shit. I'm like, where the fuck was this Ray Romano for most of my life? And then, you know, Hugh Jackman lights it up and it's fucking great, too. And as Heather brought up that one guy. From Are You Afraid of the Dark? I don't remember who, his name. I'm terrible about Raphael it. Raphael Casal. Yeah. Yeah, that guy. He's fucking great. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's got, it's got nothing but good performances. There was not a single bad performance in this movie at all. And, you know, at times, while it might suffer through some pacing issues and all this other stuff, I mean, in the end, some of the heart you see from some of the characters, I found that very refreshing, too. Uh, as Justin brought up, there was a, a high school reporter in this movie. Uh, there's a very unique, or there's a very good scene between her and her father in this. And I thought that that was something that is very applicable to a lot of things happening today, too. And we'll get into that in a second. But I mean, overall, I do think this movie is worth watching. I'm just not as high on it as you guys, per se. But I still think it's good. Uh, let's go 67. Oh, I don't even know. <laughs> 67 leaky ceiling tiles over a copy machine, bringing down the whole system out of 100. All right. So you guys ready for spoilers? Get it. Yep. All right. Spoilers then. Um, no, that scene with her father where they're talking about it. And she's like, oh, you know, were you, you know, doing insider trading? 
And he was like, no, I wasn't. But, you know, I was friends with these people and all this other stuff. And I knew what they were doing. And in the end, that was just as bad as what they were doing. And I just found that very applicable to a lot of things that are going on today with, you know, when you do look at some of the actions by police officers and stuff like that, where it some of that falls into the same category where, you know, you'll have cops doing something where you have that guy that was on uh, George Floyd's neck and there were how many, what, three other officers standing around. They knew what he was doing was wrong and they didn't stop him. And ultimately, that's why. In the end, they're just as culpable as he is because they were complicit in what was going on, regardless of how they actually felt about it. And who knows? I mean, they, you know, could be terrible human beings, too. I don't know any of them personally. I'm just saying. But just by being complicit, you know, that does make them just as guilty in a lot of ways. And I thought that that was just a very poignant thing. And I did like how she took that lesson to heart, you know, because she felt this weird kind of allegiance to the, the superintendent, Hugh Jackman guy, because. The whole reason why she uncovered everything was because he's the one that motivated her to. Mm. And by taking him yeah. down, and, and, and he had helped her brother. And in the end, by taking him down, she was potentially sacrificing a whole lot for a whole lot of people. But in the end, like her dad was saying, just by, no, by knowing what's going on and being in complete, complacent with it, just because, you know, you're friends with the people or you like the people, that makes you just as guilty as they are. And for her, that was enough to expose everything because she didn't want to be one of those people. And I did appreciate that lesson in this movie. I thought that was very, very nice. And it's something you don't get a lot of. And it's something that is in a lot of ways very true, you know. So I did really appreciate that. And I, you know, I could have said a little bit more, I guess, in the non-spoiler section about that. But I really wanted to describe the scene. You know, I really wanted to set everything up with it. And so, yeah, you know, I guess that's why it really falls into the spoilers thing. But, you know, like I said, it's just... The movie to me for a lot of it was just very, very, very just kind of straightforward and uneventful, even from like a kind of narrative standpoint. It, it, it made me feel like it was just kind of plodding along at times, you know, and and that, like I said, made me disconnect from it a little bit. Whereas like with it, if I was like I said, if I was watching a documentary about this, I think that there would just be so much factual information coming on and coming at me and all this other stuff that I would have really, like, really enjoyed it. And I, I think one thing with this movie, and I think maybe I'll have to do like what Justin was talking about, about how going and researching and looking into what is going on with this story and stuff like that, because watching movies like this sometimes makes me very uneasy for the sheer fact that you know some of the things in the movie are there just for the movie's sake, just for uh, dramatization. And so then it makes me wonder, well, what is and what isn't without knowing the actual story behind what happened there. I do get uneasy because how much of that is true and how much of it's not. You know what I mean? Like some of the fantastical elements with, you know, the, the principal or the, I mean, the superintendent having an extramarital affair from his supposedly long term relationship he had with this man, with this younger guy that was a former student. Do we know if that part's real or is that just, you know, something they added for the movie or something like that. Do you get what I'm saying? Like a lot of that aspect of it Mm -hmm. just makes me uneasy with these. When I watch these true stories about things, I don't really know. And so, and that kind of, in in some ways that does take my enjoyment out of it a little bit, because I remember back when we were younger, you would see that based on a true story or inspired by a true story. 
And you'd watch that movie and you just thought everything in it was so fucking real and so true. And it was just nothing but facts coming your way. And then I remember like, I don't remember the first time, but it's just like over time you come to realize that, oh, those are just words and how much that can actually fuck with what a movie is. I mean, in high school, I remember they did the reboot of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. My uh, senior year of high school is when that came out. And I had a guy that used to work, we, or we had a guy, Justin worked there too. Uh, we had a guy that worked at the movie theater. The, his nickname was Rabbit. I don't actually remember his real name. Or is something like that. Do you remember who the fuck I'm talking about, Justin? I know who you're talking about. And I, I'm, man, his real name is escaping me too. But yeah, I remember Rabbit. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I, I got his nickname right too. Okay. So this guy, we watch, we preview the night before it comes out. It's Thursday night, midnight. Actually, about this point, it's like 1.30 in the morning. We, we just watched the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre with uh, Jessica Biel, right? And afterwards, you know, because they added the whole stuff of like the, the audio recordings and stuff like that. The, the, the PD found when they broke into the house and all this other bullshit. And he was like, yeah, man, all that stuff's true, dude. My dad was a, a sheriff's office, a sheriff's deputy at the time, you know, and he, he was one of the people that went to the house. And I'm just sitting there thinking, but it's, it's fake. It's not actually true. I know that there is the little thing when it says Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Then right under it, it says, inspired by a true story. The true story is Ed Gein, the Milwaukee ghoul or the Wisconsin ghoul, something like that. I don't know. All those fucking crazy fucks up in Wisconsin. Is this guy Ed Gein? He only killed a couple of people, but he notoriously would dig up corpses and make skin suits and bowls out of dead bodies and stuff like that. And that's where you get the inspiration for Leatherface wearing the human face was Ed Gein. And we know this is true for the sheer fact that Toby Hooper, the man that directed and wrote the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre, has said so. That that was the inspiration for it. That's it. That is all the inspiration for it. And in Hollywood, that is good enough to get inspired by a true story. Because he heard it and went, oh, that's crazy. It inspired me. Let me write this completely fictional movie now. And... It's, you know, that that kind of broke me because so many people thought it was true. You hear these stories about how they entered like a chili cook-off. The family from Texas Chainsaw Massacre did. And they won first place in a chili cook-off. And then they found out like five years later that they were all served human meat and stuff. And you're like, no, that's not true either. It's just not, you know. Uh, I mean, because Ed Gein was also the inspiration for uh, Norman Bates from Psycho and Hannibal Lecter. In the Silence of the Lamb movies. So, yeah, inspired by a true story means fucking nothing. <laughs> um, or, I'm sorry, not, not Hannibal Lecter. I knew what, as soon as I said it, I was wrong. Uh, Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs was based on Ed Gein, is what I should have said. Uh, but, and, and so, based on a true story, all that means is kind of mostly all the stuff's in it. But, you know, they still get to play a little bit fast and loose with the actual facts. You know, and they can always add scenes for dramatic tension or take out stuff that they don't feel is really compelling. And because ultimately their goal is to make an actually fascinating movie or a good movie to watch, you know, and sometimes actual facts kind of, you know, fuck that up. I mean, for all we know that the actual character that Hugh Jackman plays is like a four foot seven bald fat man, <laughs> you know, and in the, in the movie, they kind of show him as an older man that's obsessed in a lot of ways with keeping up with appearances and maybe the actual man was completely not like that 
and it changes the, the characterization of the movie and stuff like that dramatically uh, in doing so. Like the character's motivations and stuff like that. And I mean, and like I said, I don't know though. So just when it comes to stuff like that, I guess when I have to take these movies and things like this with the, that premise of true story, I take them with a grain of salt. And I like really salty foods. So my grains of salt are a lot. It's a, it's a lot more grains of salt for me. <laughs> I like the salty taste. So I guess it just makes me extra skeptical. So maybe I don't get quite as invested in some of the stuff like you were talking about, Justin. But, you know, you're just being utterly fascinated and intrigued and, you know, compelled the entire movie. I didn't get that because and maybe that's why I've just got a little bit too much skepticism when it comes to something like that. So I just can't get as invested. So therefore, the movie is less effective on me. Hmm. I see. I see. Yeah. And I guess I just am somebody who falls on the other side of that. I, I, I too, I have similar beliefs when it comes to movies based on true events or inspired by. I know that that's that's a lot of times that's a load of BS. And that could just mean a person that looked like. Hugh Jackman, who happened to be named Harry, was at a school and stole money. You know, I I get the implications of that. Sometimes when they say inspired by true events or based on a true story, that there can be a lot of adding, subtracting, uh, taken away for dramatic purposes. So I totally get that. So when I normally approach a movie like this, I try to compartmentalize that and go, okay, let me just watch it as a movie. Let, let me just see and watch it as a movie and see what it did and then critique it in that way to give it a fair critique. Then once I find out what the real story is, I can then, you know, normally my opinion either gets better or worse based on kind of what I find out, you know, just kind of like the movie Green Book. I when I first watched the film, I was kind of like, you know what? It's not if you just look at it as a film, it is not a bad film as far as just story, characters, pacing, dialogue, etc. If you just looked at it in that holistic way, it's not a bad film. But when you get to the truth of the matter, and you find out what actually happened and what the Green Book was actually about and what that what the people were and who the people actually were. Well, then it really soured me on the movie. So it's kind of a love hate relationship like that. But I get where you're coming from. So in regards to this movie, I didn't know the story at all. So for me, it, I was just kind of taking it for what it was. OK, let me just watch it, absorb it, see what happens and just grade it based on that. So the review that people are getting today is purely based on just me watching the movie and my opinion that derived from watching the movie. I still have yet to research this topic or know what happened or find out about any of the inaccuracies that were in it. Shoot, we could find out that this superintendent was, uh, just for an example, what if we find out that the superintendent was a racist and he refused to help black children or something? Well, that's definitely going to change my perspective of this film because we didn't have that in here at all so i so i get where you're coming from with that if that makes sense no i get that and let's be clear 
if this superintendent was a gigantic racist that happened to, you know, not give a fuck about black kids, I will never watch a Hugh Jackman movie again. Because that'd be like two <laughs> movies in a row where he's like, oh, let's just skip over the massive racism of this character that I'm going to make endear, you know, that I'm going to do a good job at performing as. Like, oh, I would, yeah, that's I would true, seriously huh? be, I would seriously be done with Hugh Jackman at that point. <laughs> And, I, you know, it was just like, dear God, like, what are the odds that Hugh Jackman is just like, no, I'm all about playing these interesting characters as long as we erase all their racism. <laughs> and, and I get what you're saying. It's just maybe I watched too, too much X-Files. It's the whole trust no one, the truth is out there type of shit. I can't. <laughs> I don't know. Until until I research things I, with when the, with these movies and stuff like that, I feel very uncomfortable, like with some of the things being uh, portrayed. I was fortunate enough to, when I saw the Green Book, I knew what the Green Book actually was. And the fact that, like, I know this is a tangent, but the fact that that movie went, took something, which was the Green Book, which was more or less in a very cliffed notes way, was a safety guide to black people while traveling to help them avoid towns that would just straight up lynch them if they showed up in them. To help them know what hotels to go, that would allow them to stay there. Uh, to help them avoid sundown towns throughout the country that, you know, might seem fine during the day. But then as soon as it's, you know, nightfall, their, their lives are in jeopardy instantly. And all those elements. And it was more or less a road trip buddy movie between Viggo Mortensen. And uh, I can't say his name. So I feel terrible every time I get to having to say his name. Somebody else say his name real quick. Mahershala Ali. There we go. Yes. You know, they just became like a buddy, like, you know, like, oh, we're from different worlds, but notice how we can still get along movie. Like, it became that. This incredibly important book that probably saved thousands of, of, of people's lives was reduced down to that. Maybe that's another reason why I don't trust these true story movies. Because then that fucking movie won Best Picture. I've just got all kinds of trust issues with these true story movies. I don't know if it's a good idea that I watch them. Yeah. And then also there's something to be said for when you're watching a movie based on a true event and stuff like that. And something doesn't feel true. Like it's just so obvious that there's just no way that this could have happened. You know, sometimes <laughs> when you're watching a movie like this, an event happens and you're just like, there's no way that this that it happened like this, you know, and, and so there is something to be said about that, too. Not not all the time to these movies. Not all the time. Does it feel like something that really happened? It feels too cinema. It feels too dramatized. So there. So sometimes these movies do run walk that tightrope, if you will. You know, it's got to not only be fun and, uh, f well, entertaining and informative and uh, not only does it have to be all of that, but it's also got to have a degree of believability that you don't necessarily have to have when it's fictional characters, too. And one of the things I will say about this movie about education is the element that feels the most fantastical to me is that it was this high school journalist like, you know, the part of the newspaper club or whatever is the one that exposed the story that feels the most fantastical in this movie. And it turns out that that's one of the things we do know is true, apparently. 
You're like, oh, yeah. well, there we go. Fuck me then. But it just, because it feels a little bit too much like Chloe from Smallville, where it's just this high school, like, newspaper student that's just, like, has the most insane investigative journalist skills. <laughs> I used to love Chloe so much. Allison Mack, why did you betray me? But I know. <laughs> yeah, and then, so I, I do think that it's funny, because to me, that was probably the most fantastical element of this movie. And then it's at the end, and it's going, it's doing the little, you know, read some shit at the end because we're telling you what's or we're telling you the events and all this other stuff and it was like yep the story was broke by the newspaper the high school newspaper you're like no shit like we i guess we do know that that part's true and that that is kind of funny that like you said that to me that's what felt the most fake like no it wasn't really that someone else got them right nope it was a high school news article yeah switches and then you wonder like i wonder if he if the superintendent, I wonder if he really did influence her in any kind of way, or if they really did have that kind of relationship to Sone and Rachel, the, the, our student reporter. I wonder if they did really have that relationship or because you could kind of see that may, because that feels like something that maybe could have been added for dramatic effect was she really just investigating the story and just stumbled upon some things and was like oh no i might have stepped on something really serious here or and what we got in the film was something a little more dramatic so that you could have this character conflict and then get to that pivotal moment where she's there with her father which is all great storytelling but you wonder how accurate that is you know I guess maybe that's one of the things I couldn't relate to in this movie is like he was a superintendent of a school district, yet he knew students and stuff like that. And I'm just thinking, I don't even remember the superintendent's name when I was in school. And I'm expected to believe that this superintendent knows students like it really felt like he was actually a principal of a school, like a very small school, you know, from like 1972, because apparently back then (laughs) principals knew students. what, what, what is that Morgan Freeman movie? Lean on me. Yeah, lean on me. <laughs> yeah, kind of like that, where he's a principal yet knows all the students and shit. And yet, <laughs> I don't even remember the principal's name when I was in high school. Fuck. You know, like it's, it's, I always felt we were that disconnected from, you know, our, our, our school's administrations, you know. So maybe seeing that element also to me, which could have been dramatized for the movie or all this other stuff, or that could have been true too. Who knows? I mean, I'm sure someone knows. But, you know, like maybe that was one of the things that kind of took me out of it is that just seemed like a very foreign concept from how we went to school or at least how I did. I, I guess I shouldn't necessarily speak for the schooling experiences from you two, but at least for me, I always felt that disconnect. So maybe that's what didn't line up either. OK, I get that. Well, I remember when I was really little in grade school and everything, it did feel like our principal knew the students. Um, I even remember his last name, Mr. Worley. Yeah. And he would come in and like, he would visit the classrooms though. He was just a different kind of principal. He would come and he would visit the classrooms and he'd say hi to everybody. And he had a bucket of candy and, um, every Friday he'd come in, I think, or every midweek or he had a day where he would come in and he'd visit, he'd say hello. He'd ask people how they were doing and he could point out people by name. And every now and then he would give us a piece of candy 
And I just remember thinking he was cool, man. I just remember, I, see, I didn't forget about him. So I guess it can happen in some capacities. But, uh, but, but one thing about the movie that I did like about that is that it really speaks to the dichotomy of this character. Because don't get me wrong, he was a scam artist and a con and was stealing, but there were aspects of him where he was kind of good at his job because having to meticulously learn the names of students, the, the, some of their histories, what their parents were doing, what activities they were involved in, different things like that. He practiced it. And you could say, well, it was for the motivation of the fact so that he could keep robbing or keep himself on this pedestal. And then there's the whole sociopathic element. But that aspect of it, knowing all these students and being able to talk with them and, and connect with them and reach them was a commendable trait. So it's kind of weird. There was this awesome dichotomy with this character and what makes that scene towards the end so great with the word acceleration and he's trying to get the kid to say acceleration why i thought that scene was so wonderful was because there was so much happening in that one scene in that moment because he's unraveling he's you know his tensions tensions are high he's unraveling he's trying to get him to learn this word and he's really talking about uh, him in a way and what he does and put in the pedal on and you know these people are trying to block me blah 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 but I'm this hero I'm gonna make it I'm I'm putting the pedal to the metal I'm the Dale Earnhardt I'm gonna accelerate and the thing is is that what he did wasn't necessarily a good thing like how he kind of just aggressively was doing that to that student and his mom but he got the kid to say the word correctly. And so that's the kind of interesting thing. He was this horrible person, but there was a part of him that was a good teacher. Like he could connect. He could inspire the students like he inspired the student that basically was the architect of his downfall. So there's almost this tragic kind of sense to the character where it's like you get to the end and you're like man when you're when you're and the ending scene I just freaking loved it because he's having this he's in jail and he has this imagination of him being making the school finally number one because they were ranked four when you're in the movie and so he's having this imagine this delusion or imagination that he was there in, in in the crowd and everybody's applauding him and the and and the school is number one and it's so great because at first he's happy ah you know he's taking in the adulation but then he's crying and he's just downtrodden and devastated and it's that reality that this will never happen but given his talent and the you know, the ability he had and that part of the dichotomy of the character it could have if he just would have done it correctly who knows maybe that could have happened and so it makes that moment tragic in a way but it's also the moment that the character deserves to have he deserves to have that realization that he screwed up and this can't happen 
And so that kind of just makes that scene great because it really encapsulates that character. No, I get that. Heather, what about you? You've been just kind of silently sitting in the background. We haven't heard from you in a while. Are you still okay? I'm here. I'm okay, guys. Um, no, I was just uh, taking it all in because so I'm I'm like you guys are where when I watch something that's based on a true story, I do like to like figure out the the real story or research it a little bit. Like, for example, with um, the show Mindhunter on um, Netflix, it's supposedly based on the actual FBI who started up that behavioral unit, all these things. I started watching that and um, the cases that they were doing. Uh, some of them I hadn't heard of, so I looked it up and I was like, oh, this is accurate. You know, they're, they're doing things the way that it actually says it was done. And so I do like to know, okay, what's exaggerated, what's real and stuff like that. I did do a little bit of research on this movie after I saw it. I watched like a short interview with the real guy, Frank, um, you know, and he kind of just vaguely said like he... He liked the performance that Hugh Jackman did. and But obviously there are some things that were exaggerated. Um, I think the embezzlement part of it was, f- for the most part, was pretty accurate. Um, but yeah, I was just, the article I was reading was saying that um, the, uh, the whole idea of him having that affair with the, the former student and all of that is loosely based on a real situation. Uh, the names changed and all of that, but that was, that supposedly was based on like a real situation where he, he did have like a boyfriend that he bought a house for and all these things. And supposedly that is based on a true thing. They they don't say if it was like they were actually in love, like they kind of show in the movie. But yeah, they did say that that was based on a real person and situation. Um, and I do also like the fact that um, this movie was written by one of the kids who was a student at that school when all of that was going on. And I think that that's really cool because they probably vividly remember certain things that happened with that. So I thought that was really cool that that's who kind of wrote the movie and made it what it was. And that might be why I think it was told so well. I I just I think it was very good t- storytelling and that might be why. So um, so, yeah, I, I just think there's a few things like that. I appreciate that I was able to look into those and research that because you're right. It's kind of like these days you don't know, OK, what's real, what's not. And even when I was watching the uh, when I was watching Bombshell, you know, and then I saw this whole thing from Megyn Kelly on this is super exaggerated. This never happened, but this was real. And it's really interesting to see the things that they they think are worth exaggerating or worth putting in with no basis or whatever. So it's totally valid that you want to look into these things. So, yeah, I, I totally get that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it it really is. Uh, I, I really, I really did like mostly Hugh Jackman's performance in this just really sold it for me because especially like that last scene that you're talking about, Justin, where he's, you know, having that vision of this is what could have been basically. And just, you just know how just, you see the regret and the remorse of <laughs> on his face of like, you know what happened and this can never be now and it's beautifully done it really really is so um yeah i mean honestly 
Yeah, I, I really don't. It's hard because there's there really isn't much about the movie that I can be like, yeah, I didn't like how they did this, you know. And I, you're right, I do like that the reporter was great too, and and all of that, and just um, seeing how she's unfolding these things and all of that. Like it really, it was so well put together. Like it's hard to say something wasn't done well, you know. So um, I'm I'm totally on in your boat with that. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of speak more to the, the things that I did look up. It wasn't a whole bunch of research on the whole story, but there were a couple of things that intrigued me enough to be like, oh, I wonder if this was actually a thing that happened or not. So No, and I like um, some of the things you said there. And, 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 like, and like you said, just the, the scene at the end and how they did it was great. And, like, there's just a lot of, like nice transition in this transitions in this movie and just a lot of nice spots of dialogue where it didn't do too much it didn't try to like give you these overly movie interactions or anything like that I, I really think that this is a testament to less is more sometimes you can just get uh, a, a little bit more and you don't have to do as much like that reporter scene that we keep talking about with a student reporter and her father. Well, as well, especially or Rachel, when you look at Rachel's story and everything like that, one of the great things that the movie did is that that scene didn't happen too quickly. They let her get to a crossroads yeah. and then you got several scenes with her contemplating and feeling guilty and thinking about it and stuff like that. So they took their time with that. It wasn't like she spoke to, to, to Hugh Jackman. And then two scenes later, she was sitting there with her father. They really let that linger. You know, they showed her walking around. They showed her in the classroom, you know, just thinking about everything. They showed her. So I thought they really did a good job of showing the crossroads that she was in. And so finally, when it got to her and the father, that scene was just effective because they took the time to wait for that scene to happen. And it wasn't overly dramatic. He wasn't like, honey, you expose those people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he, it wasn't anything because I wasn't able to, you know, it wasn't, it could have been really Hollywood, but it wasn't. You you know, they just kept it yeah. very subtle and stuff like that. Same thing at the end. You could have done this scene with Hugh Jackman sitting there in the cell and he's remorseful and he's, you know, uh, something, you know, he's sitting there just contemplating and he's remorseful in his cell and it's just, you know, just really just overdramatic. But what they did juxtaposing that what what should be a happy moment with the reality of the sadness all in his face all in the acting that is to me the definition of effective filmmaking so the, this movie I, I think that's really the triumph of the film it, it, it doesn't 
it's not the what's great is the subtlety of the things that it does like that. The just the the decisions that it makes are just all solid decisions. Like like you say, it's just not a movie where anything was done poorly because it just seems like they made solid decisions, whether it was dialogue transitions. Oh, another cool transition was when he was sitting there thinking of the names and stuff like that. And he was trying to think of the she she named a, a person off and he couldn't think of who they were and he was like oh man um it was like Townsend or something like that he was like Townsend Townsend man I can't think of who they are and then just as he gets an epiphany about him and goes oh and then he gets that epiphany we immediately transition to we're somewhere else now and now he's meeting those people face to face and he shakes their hand that was a great transition like like just I don't know I guess that's just the movie nerd in me but I just always appreciate that kind of stuff like that yeah no that that is true I get that too because that's I think that is part of like speaking to how it's paced too. Like it kind of goes along the same lines as like, if you transition it well and you pace it well, you're going to keep on track and you're going to keep the attention of the audience. So I totally get that. Um, yeah, the only thing, and yeah, I did forget this. The only thing is with um, Alice and Janie's character was definitely a big part of this whole story too. And, you know, she was in it a decent amount, but I really just feel like she should have been in it more. And maybe that's just because I love Alice and Janie. But I just feel like with her character and the role that she played and everything, I don't know, I, I would have liked to have seen her in just a couple more scenes. Um, so I guess really if I had to think of like a ultimate flaw of the movie, I think that would be it. Probably. No, I get that. I agree. Like I was going to say that that was really the negative. The only real negative I had listed here is that around the second act, I think you could say, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but around the second act, she really dropped off like yeah almost disappeared to where i was like where is alice and janie and then uh finally whenever uh the discovery was being made and we were going through all of that she got some scenes kind of towards the end of the second act or into the third act she came back again but yeah man there was a huge gap in the second act where i i, I where i don't think she got any scenes at all and i was just kind of like what happened to that character are we was that all I needed to know? You know, I, I even I think in my head, <laughs> I even asked that question. Was that all I needed to know about her? I guess so. And then when I saw her again, I was like, oh, OK, so maybe we're going to get some more details of her. But then by that time, it, we were in the third act. So now we're resolving everything and uh, people are getting caught and et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, you it did feel like she just kind of dropped off the map in that second act. Yeah, I agree with that. So do you guys have any more thoughts about bad education? That's all I got. I think I'm golden. All right. Well, since we now uh, have access to HBO Max and everything like that, and I know that's how I watch this, and I know this is how you watched it too, Justin, was through HBO Max. Um, so now that we have it, is there anything that stands out about HBO Max over some of this other stuff, these other uh, streaming services we have? Uh, I'm still fairly new to like watching it, but the fact that they have friends on it and they're going to do a friends reunion specifically on it makes me happy. <laughs> so I'm good with that. Um, more so like 
I I think I'm more just excited looking forward to what they are going to put on it too because I also was looking up about um, or I, I saw a thing about their rebooting uh, Perry Mason show and I'm excited for that and that's coming out later this month I believe but I'm looking forward to that just because they have Matthew Reese starring in that who was in um, oh you know the neighbor. Won't You Be My Neighbor? What is that movie called? Yeah, it's Won't You Be My Neighbor. Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. That one. Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Yes, that movie. Sorry. Um, So he's in that, and he is amazing, and I think he needs to be in way more things than he is. So him being the star is great, and John Lithgow being in it. I think it's going to be a really great show, and I know it's going to be on HBO Max, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that, too, because it has Tatiana uh, uh, Maslany on it, in it. Oh, yeah, that's right. Her, too. And she was in, like, one or two episodes of Parks and Rec is how most people know her. She plays the Doctors Without Border doctor that Tom, like, dates Tom for a little bit and then disappears yeah. forever. I know her from Orphan Black, which is one of my favorite TV shows, to, like, ever. And she's amazing in that. And so she's yeah. going to be in it. So I'm super excited about that. I'm pretty, because uh, I, I didn't do a lot of extensive research on what HBO Max was going to get or how different it was going to be or anything like that. I mean, I had heard some things to the grapevine, like Studio Ghibli and uh, um, the DC movies, different things like that, but I didn't know much. But man, when I got on here and I just saw all of the options I had, I was really surprised and um, excited for it um like i i noticed that i i saw that all the harry potter movies are on here i saw that you know there were some documentaries that i missed that i don't believe were on my hbo now but now they're here there's that on the record documentary um there's yeah that one's exclusive to hbo max Okay, yeah. So that that about Russell Simmons. So I can't wait to dig into that, kind of see what that was about. Um the 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 Cartoon Network stuff, man, and the Adult Swim collection. I used to love Adult Swim, man. I, I was an avid watcher of that on the Cartoon Network. So it was nice to see, but there were some that I missed. I never got to see Samurai Jack. Um, uh, I was a fan of Aqua Teen Hunger Force and Space Ghost Coast to Coast, Robot Chicken, of course, the Boondocks. So I, it's just nice to look and see that this stuff is available who knows if i'll ever watch it or when i will watch it but hey i was i it brought a smile to my face knowing that adult swim got some love that they had a section and cartoon network and i I think it goes without saying at this point if you've been following us you know i'm an anime fan so i mean hey man Crunchyroll on here there's tons of anime that i love full metal alchemist i mean and and like the studio ghibli movies I haven't seen a lot of them. I've seen Spirited Away, How's Moving Castle, Princess Mononoke. Um, But some of these I haven't seen yet, like Ponyo and The Cat Returns, uh, Whisper in the Heart, which I heard is really, really good. So um, now I can catch up on that. And these were options that I really didn't have with Netflix or some of my other streaming services. So I think overall, man, this is a solid package. There is a lot of content on here that I will watch. Wait, how have you not seen Ponyo? 
my fucking I hate anime ass has seen Ponyo. How what? have you not oh, seen no. that movie? Wow. Now I just feel deplorable. Hey, now like I, just I said, when like we I'm... did our first, you know, let's, you know, try to convince Sterling anime is not shitty uh, episode. I, I have seen some of the Studio Ghibli stuff. I do like the Studio Ghibli stuff. It To me, it transcends stuff and it's just an animated movie. Because um, Princess Mononoke has been one of my favorite movies since pretty much since the dubbed version came out in America. I remember we rented that from, mm. I think, I want to say Cox video back in the day. Yeah. Uh, yep, sure did. You know, I think we, I, I don't remember if we rented that from there or if Cox had already closed and we were then uh, renting from Hastings at that point. But yeah, no, I remember renting that movie. And in true, I'm a kid fashion. You know how like sometimes your parents will take you to uh, the movie rental place on a Friday night and. It's like, all right, pick a movie for the weekend because, you know, rentals were like a dollar or whatever. You know, you can rent the new releases because those were more money. Like your parents would rent those because they made the money, but they let you pick out the little one dollar rentals or whatever. Yeah, I want to say I picked that one up a few times. I have watched that movie a lot of times. And yeah, that's always stayed with me. Um, For me, the biggest surprise that I feel just terrible that nobody's talking about with HBO Max is the fact that it's got some British reality TV show garbage that I love uh, in the form of the first date series of, of shows and whatnot, like first date UK. They've got season three and four of that. They've got first dates hotel. They've got first dates, Canada, uh, Ireland, Australia, New Zealand, all of those. And I fucking love those shows. And if anybody didn't know the premise, the whole premise of it is like the, the first date regular ones are, there's a restaurant and it's run by this like matchmaking people. And essentially they go there on a blind first date. that's like set up for them and you get to watch the date. And sometimes it's incredibly sweet and fun to like, you're like watching love blossom and it's incredibly nice. And then you get to see some of the worst first dates in the history of ever. And that's also equally as awesome. And I love them. I just love those shows. And, you know, like they've got the spinoffs and they've got the hotel series where they're doing the same thing as the restaurant, but they're taking these people to like a hotel in France and doing the same premise and all this other stuff. And it's just delightful. And I love every second of it. I've watched every episode of those TV series multiple times since HBO Max came out because I just love watching it. Like that has been my background noise uh, for the last like week has been nothing but those shows. And I don't think I've watched anything but those shows outside of like our assigned assignments, you know, for the or watchings for the podcast. Like when I watched uh, Bad Education for this or when I had to watch Lovebirds on Netflix uh, for the bonus episode that, uh, this week or when I watched my streaming pick, which was on the record, the documentary on the record. Um, so outside of watching those shows, pretty much I've been watching nonstop first dates and I've just been watching them all over and over again. And I love it. I just love, love, love it. Uh, but one thing I wanted to talk about with HBO max, which is a somewhat big deal. Cause I don't think anything like this has ever happened really in movie history outside of maybe blade runner because blade runner has nine different cuts of that movie. It feels like, and I don't ever know which ones I've seen and which ones I haven't seen. Cause there's like the original cut and the director's cut and the final cut and the definitive cut and all these different versions of Blade <laughs> Runner. But one had an alternate ending, right? I believe, right? 
I, I don't know. There's, I think, five different endings. I know one of them has narration and one of them doesn't. <laughs> the one with narration is the, like, inferior of them and stuff. It's, I don't know. I just know I've seen Blade Runner at this point. I cannot tell you which one I've seen. And I might have seen multiple ones and just did not know that I've seen different ones of it. I've just, there's too many cuts of Blade Runner running around is my point. Um, but outside of that, we're getting next year, 2021, the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. And mm. apparently they're spending more than $30 million at like $30 million. Like the guy, one of the guys joked about how he wishes it was $30 million. So they're spending an untold amount of money <laughs> to let Zack Snyder reanimate some of the scenes, to finalize some of the scenes he filmed, to re-audio dub some of the scenes, to redo special effects, to add special effects of like other characters that we haven't seen already and all this other stuff from things that he had shot before solely to give a Zack Snyder cut of the movie. Now, anybody that is expecting this to just be a reworking of the original Justice League movie with just more of the scenes that Zack Snyder wanted in his cut, you're actually going to be wrong. They are legitimately redoing sections of the entire movie. My understanding is maybe Darkseid will be in this and they will have to completely render all of this stuff with him. You know, and huh. all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, yeah, like the entire resurrection scene of Superman will be different. All this other stuff that they are going to be going in and redoing and all this other stuff. And it's solely because essentially ever since Justice League came out, there has been a hashtag of release the Snyder Cut since the day the original Justice League came out. Because the Justice League we all saw in theaters was an amalgamation of Zack Snyder, like what he had filmed. And what Joss Whedon had filmed after Zack Snyder left, some people think he got fired. Some people think it legitimately was like a mutual separation because Zack Snyder's daughter had died while they were in the process of making that movie. Hmm. You know, DC was wanting to kind of retool everything because of the negative stuff from Batman vs. Superman and all this other stuff. So there was a lot of just like restructuring constantly. And I think that was one of the things that plagued the DC Extended Universe for several movies is they were just constantly worried and revamping everything like mid movie being made, you know? And so with all that being said, like now, just because it's been a trending hashtag and all this other stuff. Yeah. It looks like we're getting a Zack Snyder cut and I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of curious as to what the fuck it will be. And I'm kind of curious as to what the fuck that means for movies in the future. Is this going to be something that happens a lot now? Because I don't see it being a real money-making thing because how many new subscribers are you going to have to get and keep to make all those extra millions you're putting into something be financially viable? I mean, so much so that they are talking about releasing the Snyder Cut as like six 45-minute episodes or something like that, whatever it is, like spreading it out over time, just so you would have to stick around for more time to watch it all, to make up more money and stuff like that. And I mean, well, that isn't 100% definitive or anything like that. It's just, it's that, that that's a possibility, you know, and all this other stuff. And I mean, it's already so trending that apparently there are now rumors coming around that Suicide Squad might get another cut too. And I just, what the fuck does that mean for comic book movies or movies in really? general going forward? Yeah, it's fucking crazy. Because whenever the Zack Snyder cut originally got confirmed, David Ayers, the director of uh, Suicide Squad, openly said, no, the movie you got 
ultimately is my movie. You know, I all this I filmed everything that's in it, all this other stuff. That's my cut of the movie. And then like a few days later, he's like talking about how there's lots of footage that were unused. There were subplots. There was all this other stuff that he feels like would drastically change the movie. And it's there. They have it. They would just have to re-edit some stuff and to like redo the movie. And he was more or less hinting at the fact that there's the possibility of a David Ayer's cut of Suicide Squad too. It's fucking crazy. Did that just blow your mind so much that you don't know what to say? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I'm just thinking about the possibilities. Like, man, that that is all very interesting stuff. So now I am curious as to what they're going to to do. And I don't know. I mean, what does it really mean either way? Like, or if you do continuations, what do you do? I mean, do you wait to see what the receptions of those are and then go by those and say, now those are the canon? Or do you just, are they just little fun things that, uh, you know, just fun extra things that you hope will drive a few more subscriptions for that fan base. And, but, you know, we're not going to continue off them and that's it. I don't know. It just raises all sorts of questions. Well, then on the news behind that, though, uh, Henry Cavill's coming back and he's going to play Superman in some stuff now. Originally, yeah, he, he had dropped out of being Superman because he's going to be too busy and all this other stuff. But now Zack Snyder's back and doing all this stuff. Apparently, Henry Cavill's back in now. Hmm. And it makes me wonder, is Ben going to come back for some Batman stuff again? Um, you would love that. I would. I, I need some more Batfleck in my life, <laughs> especially if it's good. That'd be even better. Not, that, not Batfleck. Batfleck was amazing. I'm talking about good movies starring Batfleck. I mean, and it's what are they going to do also? Because they've already kind of reworked their, their cinematic universe. They've already dropped it. Because originally it was going to be this all interconnected universe like the MCU. And then once that was doing just insanely shitty, they kind of just revamped it. And they're like, well, now we're just going to tell one-off stories and all this other stuff. Like while Shazam takes place in the DCEU, it's loosely connected at best. You know what I mean? It's very much standalone. Even Aquaman, which is drastically connected because of Justice League, they instead made that movie standalone. They dropped everything else. You know what I mean? And Wonder Woman's doing the same thing with Wonder Woman 1984. Wonder Woman 1984 is more or less just saying, fuck everything. We're just telling, we're just making crazy Wonder Woman movies. So, like, yeah, what does it mean for the continuity of it all? Are they going to end up going back to that also? But they're already Mm. doing the Matt Reeves, Robert Pattinson Batman. And they were going to make a Flashpoint movie, which which they were actually going to use to completely revamp the universe because of the Flashpoint storyline of being able to pull stuff from other continuities and stories and all this other dimensions and all this other stuff. They were going to use that. But then Ezra Miller choked out a woman in like Norway. So who's to say he'd even come back as Flash? Which if you didn't know, yeah, like, Two or three weeks ago, Ezra Miller choked out a woman at a bar. Oh, I was like, I didn't hear about that. Wow. On security camera footage and everything. Did they say <laughs> why or anything? Like what the situation was? Um, my understanding of it from what I've read and heard, it was she was kind of a drunken fan and she was like annoying him and all this other stuff. And she kind of got into his face, but not like confrontationally or whatever. And yeah, he choked her. So I don't really see a viable way for him to come back as the Flash. Or even as the weird-haired kid in the Harry Potter movies. 
I think his career's kind of done at that point because that's kind of bad. And I'm not trying to dishearten anything when I say kind of bad. It's bad. Yeah, that's a real damper on everything, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. So do you guys have any more thoughts or anything else you want to share uh, about HBO Max or anything like that? That's it for me. No, sir. I'm good. I need to get to watching more of it. Right? Because uh, as soon as we're done, I'm just going to go right back to my garbage British reality shows. So on that note, get on guys, that Russell, that Russell Simmons. I'm oh, I'm not watching. Yeah, no, I already watched that. And either way, I wouldn't want to watch that this late at night. But on uh, that note, guys, thank you for listening to the Cinema Slayers podcast. Check us out on the internet at cinemaslayers.com. Check us out on Facebook at Cinema Slayers podcast. We are cinema underscore slayers on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we are doing a special uh, Q&A episode where we're going to be interviewing each other, asking random questions just to let you guys get to know us better in an in general way. For our 100th episode, which this is episode 97, if I'm remembering correctly off the top of my head. So, yeah, in just a few weeks, we will be recording that. So if you guys have any questions you want us to talk about on the episode or anything like that, you can email us at cinemaslayerspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, message us on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. Or if you know us personally, just message us that. Or, I don't know, any way you can think of getting a hold of us. Yeah, just drop us a line, whatever. And uh, ask the question. We'll definitely uh, put that on the episode and stuff like that. And we will be, since we have entered phase three of the COVID less restrictions section of, you know, the quarantine and whatnot, we are now, uh, tattoo shops will be opening uh, on a somewhat limited basis. So you guys can also check out and we will show what the voodoo shark or the winning voodoo shark tattoo will be and what i will be getting tattooed on me and we will be showing videos and pictures of it once it is tattooed on me so that is coming you know fairly soon because now it's possible again so keep an eye out on that and as always guys according to justin moon knight is the best picture winner do you want to ride it why why rob zombie (laughs) that was for you man